Acts chapter 24. Open your Bibles or Testaments if you have them. The context here is that the great Apostle Paul is in prison in Caesarea under the control of the procurator Felix who command Judea. Uh, he's standing trial on scoreless, unfounded allegations made against him. And Paul robustly, vehemently uh, states his case before these wicked men. And in verse 22 of chapter 24, we read these words. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect or a more accurate knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. One of the traits of Felix was to keep putting things off. If you read the scriptures, and that's the only scriptures we have here, but Tacitus and Josephus, accurate historians, tell us a lot about this man. And he's like some of us, he's good at putting things off, or as we would often say, passing the book to somebody else, and that's exactly what he's doing here. And he commanded, verse 23, a centurion to keep Paul, and to let him have liberty, and that he should forgive, forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way, for this time, here he is again, Go thy way, for this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should be given him of Paul. You'll never go too far in these situations until money's involved that he might lose him. And wherefore he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two days, Portius Festus came into Felix's room and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Just a moment's prayer, please. Father, we thank thee for what we have been singing the prayer that has gone up, for the word that has been read. And now, Lord, we covet the anointing of the Holy Ghost upon this scripture tonight. Thou knowest, Lord, now the hearts of all gathered here. And we pray in Jesus' name, and I pray in Jesus' name, that I might know the mind of God with the word of God. Hear our cry, we pray thee, Lord, and answer our prayer. For Jesus' sake, amen. Felix, the Roman governor of
Caesarea, and Drusilla, his so-called Jewish wife, I suggest to you are a representative and a replica of couples in Northern Ireland who attend gospel meetings. Now, I emphasize that because this whole scene is set around a couple attending, a young couple, for she was only 21 or so, a young couple attending an evangelistic meeting, hearing an evangelistic message, hearing a message preached by the greatest gospel preacher apart from the Lord Jesus that ever lived, the greatest expositor of the word of God was Paul the Apostle. And it doesn't surprise me at times when I preach on the same doctrines as he's preaching here tonight. It doesn't surprise me that people don't listen. Or they listen, but they don't do anything. It doesn't surprise me if they put it off. But under a giant like this, to think what happened in this scene is beyond even comprehension. You see, no matter what took place in the lives of this couple at this short gospel meeting, whatever took place in their lives, and many things I believe did, they never were the same again after it. The condition they left this meeting and stayed in, as far as I know, died in, and died very tragically a few years after I believe that the condition remained the same. Now, there are similarities in this message here, 2,000 years ago, that are in this gospel meeting gathered here tonight. In this meeting here tonight, and in all other gospel meetings that have been in this place of particular in, in late. People come of their own free will. You've come here tonight, maybe a child or two hasn't, but you've come here tonight under your own volition and free will. You see, you don't compel or coerce a, a Roman governor and his wife to go to a gospel meeting. Nobody coerced or compelled you to come in here tonight. To think that they came to listen to a man who's, who was despised and who was in chains and who at this time in his life was trailing his feet with pain, who had been beaten and scourged and his speech was con contemptible. His body was weak. And he is a wee insignificant man. To think that these great, this great procurator of all of Judea would come to listen to him preach. Nobody compelled or coerced. In fact, in fact, in fact, he asked him to come to preach to them. So you have made a choice tonight to be here to come into this gospel meeting. You decided of your own free will to come. You can get up and you can go at any moment. You can stay if you wish. That's the first similarity. The second similarity is this. God knew that they were coming. 
And God knows that you know, knew that you were coming here tonight. You see, there's no coincidence or accidents or choices or chances with God. God's sovereignty and timing runs right through this portion of Scripture. Nobody engineered this. Nobody engineered or manipulated you to come in tonight first. Nobody knew. Nobody knew apart from me and God what I was going to preach on the night. Nobody. Not even my wife. Nobody knew. I never said to one. So you're here tonight, not by accident. You're here tonight because you want to be here. You're here tonight, and God who knows all things knows that you're here, and God knows what I'm going to preach on, and God knows your heart. And maybe there's a couple in this meeting, and this message is for you. The third similarity is this. God gave Paul the message to preach that they needed to hear. Paul didn't fool about and clatter about and tell stories. He didn't try to appease them. God gave him a message. What did God with more men in the pulpit with words from God? God gave this man a message and he preached it. And mind you, it wasn't a popular message to preach. Paul preached it. Because Paul knew that he had just one shot at this. And I may only get one shot at you tonight with this gospel message. You may never hear again. You may never be in here again. You may never be in another gospel meeting again. You may never read another gospel track again. So woe betide me as a servant of God if I wouldn't bring the word that the Lord has given me to bring, and I will. This young couple sat in this meeting and the mighty claims of Christ laid hold upon them and gripped them, or him anyway, as far as we know. You could write over this palace scene, and it is a palace that they were in, and I may have titled my message this evening from the palace to the pit, for that's where they went according to, the, according to history, both of them together. You could write over this palace scene, the master has come, and he calleth for thee. The master is come. Is, that's present now. The master is come and calleth. That's plural. E-T-H. Continually calling. And he's continually calling some of you. And he has been continually calling some of you for years and you haven't come. The master is come. That's present. And calleth for thee. That's plural. Calleth for thee. That's personal. Now sit up tonight. Personal. This is a personal message to someone or ones in this meeting tonight from God. He's calling thee. The master is come. And he calleth. He calleth for thee. There's an urgency about this meeting here. And there's an urgency about this meeting and should be an urgency about every gospel meeting. Let me give you another similarity tonight. Both Felix and Drusilla knew the gospel message and the way of truth, and so do you. I would doubt if there's any of you here not saved tonight that never heard the gospel and know something, and know something about it. 
You see, light accepted bringeth more light. Light accepted bringeth more light. Light rejected bringeth night. It's more, not more gospel light we need. It's to obey what we have heard. Felix in verse 22 says, had a more perfect knowledge of the way. The way, that was the name given to the early Christians. So it says he had a more perfect or a more accurate knowledge. He had a greater knowledge than Tertullius or Lysias, those who he is before. He had a greater knowledge than them. He had a knowledge of the, of the way. He was well informed about the Christian faith. And he lived in Caesarea. And why wouldn't he have? Because it was in Caesarea Philip went and saw mighty blessing. It was in Caesarea that the house of Cornelius was when Peter came and the Holy Spirit came down. This boy's not ignorant of the gospel. He knew more than these other boys that were around him. He knew what happened when the Holy Ghost came down in Caesarea in the house of Cornelius and the Gentiles were saved and God began to move. He knew that. Drusilla, Jewess, brought up in the covenants and the promises and the commandments and the oracles of God. Knew them. Scripture is very careful to t- tell her that she, us that she was a Jewess. Special people. She's here. That's enough about the meeting. Now let's talk a wee moment about the message. We're going to look at a moment what Paul preached on. How they reacted to the message and how they left it. Now he, he, he opened up this message when he had these pair before him and there were others. He opened this message and he reasoned with them That is, he disputed and he pleaded with them on, first of all, righteousness. You see, there was three hits here. Righteousness was the first one. That's to do with a person's past. And as far as this couple were concerned, there was very little right about them. As far as God was concerned. Oh, he may have been excellent, Felix, before the man, but you, you're a great fellow when, you, when, when, you're, when the world looks at you. He reasoned, he pleaded with them on righteousness, past righteousness. Jeremiah says, Woe unto them that buildeth their house in unrighteousness. In fact, Paul explains it better in Roman when he says we're filled with all unrighteousness. Now Tacitus, the, the Jewish historian, says this, and it's a wonderful statement. Felix wore the governor's robe of royalty, but in his heart was the heart of a slave. You see, Felix was a slave. And there's nothing as dangerous when a man that's suppressed and in slavery for years gets power. You've seen that. You've seen it. They're merciless. 
And I salute and admire people who rise to the top of the ranks in any profession, as long as it's not through skullduggery, the round table, or the old boys' club, or the Masonic. This fella, this, 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 this fella here, history tells us, Joseph and Tacitus both tells us, he and his brother were plotters and planners and murdered. They murdered, he murdered his way into power. Tacitus, in particular, is one almost, we would say, 100 excellent. It's not inspired, but he's 100 excellent in his commands on, on, on the Jewish antiquities. And he says they, 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 they plotted and planned their way till he got into this post, illuminating other rivals for governor, illuminating other potential people. They say that the blood of the Jews ran like a river that, he had, that, that this man Felix had shed. In fact, a couple of years after that, they brought him back to Rome and they deposed him for cruelty. And I'll tell you, you were cruel when Rome put you out. So I want you to get a picture of this man now. He exploded in revenge when he got a bit of power. Alexander White, that powerful Bible character man, says he was savage, treacherous, and steeped in blood. The biblical expositor says about him few crimes that, wasn't, that he wasn't guilty of. Now, by preaching righteousness, Paul's taken him back to the past. And friends, that's where salvation must begin. It must begin at the past. There has to be repentance for the past. Repent ye therefore and be converted. Ye can't cover your sins. There's no use in putting up your hand in this meeting tonight or nodding your head and say, I want to be saved. You've got to to deal with the past. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And what we uncover, the blood will cover. Paul hitting righteousness. First thing he does it's righteousness. And if the Holy Spirit or your conscience, and both were working here, I believe, with this couple, with him anyway, if the Holy Spirit or your conscience is saying to you tonight, there's things in the past that I need to deal with. There's things in the past life that's holding me back from coming to Christ. You need to repent of them. You need to confess of them. You need to ask the Lord to forgive you for them and he'll cleanse you from every one of them. But you've got to do that. Now, I've been preaching for many years, 40 years, and I've met some people in gospel missions and meetings that have come to me afterwards and even before. And I was conducting a mission one night up in County Armagh Made an appeal at the end, just said, anybody wants to speak to me, there'll be a room at the back. And then this man came in. He says, any hope for me? I says, there's hope for you, son, no matter what you've done. Oh, he says, are you ready to hear what you're going to hear? I says, go on. I says, God's able to save and cleanse you from whatever it is. 
says, I murdered a man. What's the preacher in a position? Says, I murdered a man. Do you think that there was cleansing for him? Do you think that there was that, that there was hope for him? Do you think that there was deliverance from him? There was. But he has to got to put things right. You have to put things right, you know. Don't be running away from your past. Don't run away from your past. If ever a needed a message needed to be preached to this couple and needs to be preached to our nation tonight, it's on righteousness. Righteousness exalted the nation. The sins of sodomy and abortion and murder and idolatry and deceit has brought an awesome reproach upon our nation. Righteousness exalted the nation. Exalted the nation. But to be deceitful is but a reproach upon the people. Skillfully Paul pressed on and he went to the next point which I'm going to come to tonight. Now I hope you've got the first point. There's sin in your life now. You have never confessed it. You've never repented of it. That's why you're not saved. You're afraid of what man would say or somebody else would say. You need to be a man or a woman tonight and face up to it. If you want cleansing and you want joy and if you want peace in your life, skillfully this man went on. He plunged the sword in again. Temperance. Used to be temperance hauled over Northern Ireland Ron and Tandergy, I had two powerful missions in them. Don't hear much talking about temperance now. Temperance, self-control, lust, money, greed, sex, all which this couple were infested with. Adultery. This was his third wife. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Is that the seventh commandment? Thou shalt not steal. No, don't. Thou shalt not murder. No, no. And you'll not commit adultery. John the Baptist would go to Herod and he could say, It's not lawful for thee to have her. We need to get to these old truths and preach them out again. We need to face up to this now. Don't hide under that. Damn your soul. She was only 21 years of age. She was supposed to be the most beautiful woman in Caesarea. At the age of 16, she married the king of Amasa, who was so desperately wanted her that he got himself a Gentile, circumcised himself to be a Jew. And when she was still in her teens, Felix lured her away with pleasure and with money. And she became his third wife. Pleasure and money to keep her happy. Someone said that she was a New Testament Jezebel and she turned from the Jewish faith and probably went to this meeting to mock the preacher. 
Maybe you used to be at meetings and know the scriptures and know the word and maybe you're a mocker tonight. Well, you'll hear it when I finish about a mocker. She was no more interested in this meeting as far as I can see. But she was there and she probably went with him and maybe she probably was the means of him going to hear about the Jewish faith. Faith in Christ was what they wanted to hear, you know. That's why he wanted to hear, to hear faith in Christ. She doesn't give him a chance to hear. Maybe, maybe some of you tonight are in this meeting. You're not interested in coming out for God. Oh, you'll hear the message. And you like good preaching. And you like the good singing. And you'll come so far. When you'll not come over. Let me tell you, you're on very, very dangerous ground. Very dangerous ground. You're in a place now at this moment where you're making a choice. And the past has come up before you. And the present is now coming up before you because this has to do with the present way that we're living. What way are you living? Hmm? How's things at home? Hmm? How's things with the wife, husband, children? How are things at work? How are things when you go to fill in the wee tax forms? Everything okay? The things in the past there needs to be rattled out. Hmm? Paul put the sword in here. Paul wouldn't have known a whole lot about this man. He knew something about him, but the Holy Ghost knew about him. Paul plunged the sword in on temperance and the present and the way they were living. Oh, my dear. Listen, some of you young men, it's a pornography. Come on now. What you're at? But one day you can't come to the prayer meeting. One day you can't pray. What is it? Money. Greed. All these things are here. Everyone. Money. Greed. Pleasure. Sin. Sex. It's all here. But then Paul went to all the four. He went in with the knife again. He went in with the sword again. He went with the hammer again. He went in on the third point. Judgment to come. Boy, I tell you. Righteousness, temperance, past, present, future. Judgment to come. Listen, there's a judgment to come. as real today as it was there. This is the juncture I believe that she left. I may be wrong, but I'm entitled to make my opinion. I believe this is the juncture that she left and took him with him. And I believe that this is the juncture that he started to tremble and shake with fear, for the Bible told us he trembled. I don't believe he 
she let him hear all the message because he came concerning faith in Christ. Paul hadn't got that far yet. And I know from the Apostle Paul and from his writings when he said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And I know that Paul didn't leave that message there. Nor should any preacher leave that message there. You must provide the remedy. You must provide the solution. And as by faith he came to hear, he didn't hear it. You're going to hear it now. By grace are ye saved through faith. You're justified through faith. Don't be looking for works or don't be looking for somebody to prod you. Just by faith look away to him tonight. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Look away to him tonight. By faith. Look away to the cross tonight. Paul didn't get to the cross. And Paul always got to the cross. And Paul preached the cross. And he said, woe is me if I don't preach the cross. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which believe, it is the power of God. Look away to the cross tonight, son. Look away to that middle cross between the thieves. And see the Son of God crowned with thorns and stripped naked and dying for your sins. Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? If you'd let him sit a minute, he'd have got the whole gospel. Of course, he's not the first, not the first man that a woman pulled away from the gospel. <laughs> Indeed, he's not. You be very careful now. Not the first man whose wife hindered him from getting saved or going on with God or going through with God. I believe, I believe she took him out. As many as a man would be saved, you know, I know men that would be saved if it were not for their wives. And wives if it were not for their husbands. And children if it were not for their parents. Father, what sort of a role model are you to your child? Do, do, do they see at home what to see when you're out in the church and smiling and shaking hands and singing hymns. Did they see that? There's as many as a child, you know, has seen hypocrisy in this land of ours and far too much of it. Don't you damn your child with a false profession or hypocritical works and actions. Felix trembled Physically, he shook under the hour of conviction. He literally trembled. The man was shaken when he hit judgment to come and righteousness and temperance. Did you ever see anybody shaken under conviction? I did. 
35 years ago, more I conducted a mission down in Maguire's Bridge, started in the wee hall and, it, and had to move out and into the Orange Hall down the middle of the town, Brickborough, or Maguire's Bridge, County Fermanagh. I was preaching one night coming near the end of the message and hell or something serious. I seen this boy in the front seat and all I could see was the hymn book. Hymn book. Talk about God gripping a man with conviction. Any wonder after all the 35 years he's still going on with God, is it? And the deacon in the church, is it? And after the meeting, I couldn't get to the door. He caught me. He says, come home. Come up to my house. Follow me and my wife up. Follow the way out. Why, well, i never seen a couple ready for the Lord like If you ever shake, the fear of God gets you. God, we need a dose of the fear of God. Listen, don't treat these gospel meetings and what's going on in this place. Do you know what's going on in this place is going on because of the dear people that are praying? Don't treat it lightly. We're going to come to a point here in this meeting where it'll be very, very dangerous to open your mouth. In criticism. You'd be far better staying away from the place. Because as these prayer meetings go on and these meetings go on, the Spirit of God is intensifying. And that's evident. It's evident when you have to show people to their seats in a prayer meeting. So you just be very careful. He shook and he trembled. Felix, the Bible says, Felix trembled. But Felix trembled only. She didn't tremble. If anybody should have trembled, it should have been her. Saturated in the Jewish religion. Covenant promises of God knowing them, God's precious people. She didn't trample. And I've been in meetings where men and women have got saved and a husband has got saved and a wife hasn't. I've been in meetings where couples have got saved one another hasn't. One shook, one trembled. One feared God, one cried to be saved. No, we're hard as that. Is that you tonight? Well, this is your night now. And I'm nearly finished. This is your night. Felix trembled. Felix only trembled. Only Felix trembled. That's all he did. There's not enough. You got that now? Trembling wasn't enough. Shaking wasn't enough. Conviction wasn't enough. 
to be repentance and a crying and a repentance and a crying unto God. Unto God. Imagine this big procurator trembling, physically shaken. But no repentance towards God or no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a fearless man Paul was when he preached on judgment to come. John in Revelation 20 tells us that the day is coming. The great white throne judgment for every unconfessed, ungodly, unsaved man or woman will stand the great white throne judgment. And the dead, small and great, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. My friend, all the ages past and the sea shall give up their dead and every Christ rejecter down through the centuries will stand at the great white throne judgment and the books shall be opened. There's a head of you. It's ahead of you. The only way of escaping this judgment is coming as a sinner to the cross and taking the judgment that he took for our sins. And the books, John says, shall be open. I tell you, this old book will be open. You have it in your home and in the cupboards and everywhere. You have more texts, more Sunday school prizes. More gospel in the meetings and in the radios. And you're still not saved tonight. This book, this book, the words of this book, the texts and the scriptures of this book will be opened before you. And the Lord will say, What did you do with this precious book that you had? And there's an S on it, the books. And I believe the, the, the old hymn books, until they got their dirty hands on them and took all the good hymns and songs out of the blood, the old hymn books will be open. And the prayer books, some of the old prayer books, you know, in the Church of Ireland and Presbyterian churches, let me tell you, there's enough gospel in them to save. And the books... And the tracks and the lorry loads of them. That you read one of them will be opened. There's two things happen in heaven whenever a sinner gets saved. Oh, I tell you, my friend. It's a wonderful thing when a man or woman trusts Christ and gets saved. When a sinner repents, there's rejoicing in the midst of the angels. That's Christ himself. He's in the midst of the angels tonight. 
And if you trust the Lord tonight and call unto him into your heart tonight, ask him to save you tonight, there'll be rejoicing, my friend, rejoicing in heaven. And the second thing is this, there's a scribe in heaven. Scribes in heaven. And he'll put your name, he'll scribe your name into the book of life. The Lord's diary. The Lord keeps a diary. Keeps, is your name there? Can you go to a day and an hour and a moment in your life when you repented of your sins and you said, Lord, save me and come into my heart and you, you knew it and, and you felt it and as you went on you grew and you, you're here sitting tonight and you're glad that you're saved tonight Well, your name's in heaven. But the books will be opened at the great white throne judgment to show them that their names are not there. It'd be awful if you saw your mother's name and here's that. Hmm? Son's name. And yours not there. Whosoever name was not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And my brother tried to describe that this morning. Cast, I tell you, cast in. To the lake of fire. I was reading about a child some year or two ago. A mother ran into the shop. She locked the car and ran into the shop. And when she was in the shop, the car caught fire. And there was a six or eight months year old child in the back seat. By the time they got out, the flames were that high that nobody could get near. And all they said, all they could hear was the roars of the child. But there came a moment when that roaring stopped. Jesus says there'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth all through the countless ages of eternity. Into the bottomless pit. Falling but never falling. Never hitting the bottom. Burning but never burn out. Oh, the pain and grief. Hell has no exits. There's no way out. Do you realize the issues tonight? In this meeting? Let me close. with an illustration. You know, one of the most enjoyable times Pat and I had and we're 50 years married yesterday was a journey to the island of the Hebrides to Lewis and Tarbert. 25 years ago we went there and I went with the one condition that I would spend as much time as I could with the people that were saved. There's none, very few, if many of them left now. 4950 revival under Duncan Camp. We, we had fellowship with maybe a dozen of them. Probably it was the most sacred, blessed 
time in my ministry to sit with those men and women and to hear how God moved on their hearts and the things that happened. And some of them wouldn't even talk loud. After all those years, they'd still whisper. They were afraid of offending God in any way, or exaggerating or anything. What a blessed place that was. And they put on meetings, house meetings at night, and Pat and I went and testified in it and preached a bit, maybe, and others were there. It started about 9 o'clock or so at night, and about 11 or 12 o'clock, the woman says, we'll make tea, and she made tea. That wasn't the first day, there was more tea after. And then somebody called out a course and somebody sang and somebody said how they got saved and somebody tell a story about the revival. But the man who we became more friendly with was Caldwell Darrow's father-in-law, Paddy. We spent some time with Paddy who was saved in the revival. Paddy told me this story. He says, when the, revival, when the revival was on, he says, <clears throat> I took a busload of young men for a day out down to Ness, down at the seaside. And he says, when I was driving the bus down the road, God spoke to me and he says, there's one of these boys. They're not coming back. they're not coming back with you. That's how in touch these men were. Paddy went on and he watched them like a, like a hawk the whole day, every one of them. God says there's a fellow in that bus and he's mocked the revival. He has mocked the revival and he's not coming back. Paddy watched them like a hawk all day and he got every one of them up into the bus and got the door closed. They thank God, what a relief. Some boy pulled back the window of the bus and threw a ball out. A fella ran out and pulled back the door and ran down to catch the ball and when he was catching the ball he went over the cliff. The mocker. And he didn't come back with them. You're not going to make it home tonight, maybe so. This is you may not make it home tonight. There's one of you not coming home. 